So I have a favorite sport. I like most sports, uh, but probably my favorite sport, it's always been probably because I grew up watching Walter Payton run. I've just always loved to watch and play football. Um, most of the time, I, I like to play most sports. I can't watch most sports. I get bored. But football, I can watch. And I've loved to play. I've played in high school, uh, played intramural in college, even played uh, intramural in seminary. That seminary ha have played here and love flag football, tag football, sometimes tackle. Don't play tackle as much anymore. Uh, and uh, a number of uh, years ago, there was a group of us guys, uh, mostly from SEC. Um, the organizer was uh, Bill. He's, he and his family moved to Michigan, but he was the organizer. We were playing in Cottonwood Park. And we're, I was on offense, and I was a receiver, and uh, I was cutting across the middle, and our quarterback threw to us. And Bill was on defense, and he thought he could get the ball, right? And so right in the middle of the field, he, he's coming from the left, I'm coming from the right, bam, crunch, no one catches the ball, and he's down on the ground, and I felt it on my whole spine and neck, and just the crunch right there. He's on the ground complaining what kind of pastor treats a parishioner like this. He's all mad at me. I'm like, you were on defense. Uh, back and forth, back and forth. So I was sore. Uh, and uh, later that night, I had a headache. And I woke up in the morning, and guess what? Oh, oh I was really, my, whole, my back, my neck, I had a headache, and I said, I need to go to a chiropractor. I went to a chiropractor. He cracked my back right all the way up and did the neck thing and crunch, and he's like, yep, you were completely out of alignment. This morning, I want to talk to you about the idea of alignment, now, I am convinced that God, yes, he's created, you talk to a physical therapist or a chiropractor or whoever, and they'll talk about alignment, physical alignment, that when your body is out of whack, right, that happens, and it doesn't work properly, it doesn't flow properly, and you experience pain and discomfort when you're out of alignment. I believe our creator has created us not only to be physically in a line, but also spiritually, our whole lives to be in alignment with God. And when our lives, whether our relational life or our emotional lives or our work lives or our, our personal lives are out of alignment, then we experience pain or discomfort have you ever been there where your life just is not in sync? It's your life just isn't flowing. There's a disconnect. Nothing is working out together and you're going, oh, oh, oh. And you feel it in your spirit and in your soul. The staff doesn't like this word. I happen to like this word. I like the word synergy, right? Some of you maybe don't like it. It's an overused word. But I think that there is a synergy 
between the creator and the created, between the God who is spirit and our spirit and souls and body. And and as part of spiritual maturity, we can grow and recognize those times, those moments when we are in sync with our creator, when we are living life that's in his flow, by his design. We're living in his rhythms and his ways. I'm convinced that many of us are living lives and there's a pain, there's a difficulty, and we don't realize the difficulty and pain is because we're out of sync. We're out of alignment. We're not, another way to put it is, we're not living a life that agrees with God. We're out of his flow. Last week, we looked at Nehemiah chapter 9. And there is this long, beautiful chapter. I hope some of you read the long prayer, one of the longest prayers recorded where they retell their history, but it was essentially a prayer of confession. They were saying as a people, as a nation, in key ways they were living out of alignment with God and his law. They were not, their lives did not reflect the revelation, the truth, what he has said, the good life, the right life, a life that agrees with me. They were out of sync, right? Sin works that way. Sin, spiritually, can be like a crunch on the football field to the soul, right? Sin, when we do a sin, bam, we're out of alignment. Confession can be the chiropractor crack on the back that gets us back in alignment. We say, yes, God, that was wrong. Yes, God, we, did. we know you told us not to do that, me to do that, and I did it, and I felt it, and it hurts, and I'm limping. I've got a headache from that. It's a confession. But who knows, repentance isn't just about saying, I'm sorry, Repentance literally means to turn the other way and it acknowledges, God, I'm sorry I ask for your forgiveness and now I will turn and live life the way you've designed it to live. To be lived. Nehemiah 9 was confession. We're missing it. We're off. Nehemiah 10 is another long chapter that says that they decide to sign an agreement, a covenant, and say, we lived wrongly here, God. We commit to living life rightly this way. If you look at Nehemiah chapter 10, at Uh, Look at the very end of chapter 9. It's verse 38. Long prayer of confession, Nehemiah 9, 38. In view of all of this, all of what? All the ways that we have sinned against you. All the ways that we've said we've missed it. We've been out of alignment. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement. Kind of like a marriage. A covenant. 
And they're saying, God, we're putting in writing and our leaders, our Levites and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Kind of like saying they're going to write their names. They're going to put their seals. They're going to say, we commit based on all that we've done and confessed and the forgiveness that we've received now, we're going to live in a new way, a better way, in a way that coincides with your law, your truth, your revelation. And then you see all the key leaders, starting with Nehemiah, those who sealed it were Nehemiah the governor, and then I am not going to read all these names, all right? I know it would be entertaining to see me embarrass myself, but we're going to pass on that this morning. Get to the good stuff, the meaty stuff. So all the leaders signed their name on this agreement. And then it says, look at verse 28 of chapter 10. The rest of the people, priests, Levites, gatekeepers, musicians, temple servants, and all who separated themselves from the neighbor, neighboring peoples for the sake of the law of God, together with their wives and their sons and their daughters who are able to understand. So everybody, this wasn't just a leadership thing. This wasn't just the priests or the Levites. This was everybody that could understand. It was wives, daughters, sons. They get to participate in the covenant and a relationship and right living with God. And they said, we, we're gonna commit to live this way. And they're serious about it because look at what else they, they say. Their wives, their sons, their daughters who are able to understand. Verse 29, all these now join their fellow Israelites, the nobles, and bind themselves with a curse. Who would be willing to do that? That's not an exciting thing, right? But what they're saying, we're serious, God. And we're, we're, if we step out of line, we get there are consequences to our sin, consequences to our rebellion. And we're saying, we're going to bind this and say, we want to live life right under your blessing. But if we don't, we know the other side. There's a curse. And an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to obey carefully all the commands, regulations, and degree, decrees of the Lord our God. All right, we're going to pause right there because I've got to share before we, before we go on with this chapter, and we're just going to read parts of it here, is an important thing to understand is in the context of the Old Testament, they had the Old Testament law. Um, most of us would be familiar with kosher laws, right? And they would say, don't eat. God said part of his laws, he had dietary laws, he had moral laws, and all those laws, he said, don't do this, but do this. And they took that law very seriously. So don't eat this certain kind of animal. Right? And they would say, okay, if they, what God meant is don't eat that animal. If they did, it was sin. It was inconsistent with the law. 
right? All these regulations. So their confession, the heart of their confession is when they did not live lives that matched the Old Testament law. You with me? Now we're in the New Testament, the New Covenant. So what does that mean for us? So this is the best way I can explain it is that Jesus fulfilled the law and the law is good and yet now major parts of the law how I understand it the best way I can understand it is I always try and look at the purpose and intent of the law in the Old Testament and how it carries over to the New Testament how Jesus fulfills it, and yet God's heart is still there. So with a, a lot of the dietary restrictions, we are not held to those anymore. But there was an intent behind that, and we can look at those intents. Does that make sense? Mo most of the moral law is still applicable. So when God in the Old Testament said, do not commit adultery, what is intent? That you wouldn't commit adultery, right? So we, so we still live that. But we always look from a New Testament perspective at God's heart and intent behind the law. All right. You with me? So far. Good. One more step. Okay. I'm just going to give you the, the rest. In their commitment, they're going to talk about three primary ways that God wants us to continue to live in alignment with him. Three primary ways. These ways we can get out of alignment, whether in Nehemiah's time, in Jesus' time, or in our time. We're going to talk about rhythms of life, of work, of family, of service. We're going to talk about money. You're welcome, deacons. And we're going to talk about the community of faith. All three of these ways, whether in Nehemiah's time, Jesus' time, or our time, those three important areas, our lives can be knocked out of line, alignment. Rhythm of life, how we handle and our relationship with material possessions and our wealth, and then finally our relationship with the community of faith. Clear as mud? Okay, let's dig in. So, well, it'll come, it'll come, all right? So, where are we? Confession, we've lived out of alignment. Now we sign this covenant and they say, this is how we're going to live according to, oh, I wanted to share this passage of scripture. This is from Romans 8, 2. Paul had a lot to say about the law. Even though he calls it the law of sin and death, that's not really a title he uses. It means the law identified sin in us, if, we, if he says, do not covet, covet, and we covet, that brings sin and death in our lives, okay? But the law is still good. 
But he says, now in the new covenant, there's a different law at work. And he calls it, his title, not mine, the law of the spirit. Through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now he's given his spirit to not only lead and minister, but to live life in alignment with him. So we're talking about what it looks like to be spirit-led, spirit-filled leaders, especially in these three areas. What are the three areas? Our rhythms of life, the way we handle money, and also our connection to the community of faith. They sign the covenant. They even promise a curse. And then we pick up the story at their words, verse 30, we promise not to give our daughters in marriage to the peoples around us or to take their daughters for our sons. There was a purpose behind that. We're, we're no longer held to that, but we'll talk more about that in the final week of Nehemiah next week. When the neighboring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seventh year, we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts. So what they're saying here is they're seeing, they're talking about the Sabbath day. And I want to suggest to you that a spirit-led leader, a spirit-led Christian, someone who's wanting to live in the rhythms of the spirit is a leader who sees God's healthy rhythms of life and lives in alignment with those rhythms. A spirit-led leader has healthy rhythms of life. You see the, the temptation. Go to the next slide, Stephen. Um, the temptation was for the Israelites to live in the rhythms of the world, of the culture around them. All right? So, for example, on the seventh day, on, on a Saturday, they were supposed to not do any work. They weren't supposed to purchase. There wasn't supposed to be a business transaction. Here's a problem. In Jerusalem, you had people from other nations on every day of the week, including the Sabbath day, they were bringing merchandise to sell. And so the huge temptation was, well, I, I need that. Even though it's Sabbath day, I, I'll just, I'll take it. They recognized that God had said, don't do that. I've created a day, a day of rest. I've even created a year, a seventh year, where you have a profound rest. Even the cancellation of debts, no payback, pretty significant. And yet they weren't living according to what God said, they, how they, God should said they should live, they were living just according to the world, how the economy works, how business works, what they need, all those kind of things. And they said, you know what? We're going to stop and we're going to connect with your rhythms of life. 
fast forward to Jesus' time. Did they practice the Sabbath in Jesus' time? Yes, they did. Did they practice it correctly in a way that aligns with the, God's intent and heart for the law? They did not. What Jesus said is he said, you're, you're missing the Father's intent behind this part of the law. You treat it legalistically and slavishly, and yet God, the Sabbath was not, um, man was not created for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was created for you. It's not meant to be a, a legalistic law that you, you live slavishly. It's meant to be a gift. And you're meant to open this gift. We, we've seen, uh, we see Jesus, if you look at his life, he follows the rhythms of God. Sometimes he pulls away. Look at Luke 15, 16. News about him is spread. Crowds are coming. Ministry is there. Healing the sick. All that's happening. And yet we're told, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Why did Jesus pull away to lonely places to pray? Because God demands that you pray every day in the morning. Is that why Jesus pulled away to pray? Why did he pull away to pray? Because his soul was renewed. He connected with the Father. Every Sabbath, Jesus would go to the synagogue. Why would Jesus go to the synagogue? Well, he had to, he had to punch his card to get into heaven, right? So he, we need enough... Uh, service attendance to get into why did he do that because a soul was renewed and blessed you see that fast forward to today as part of wanting to be deeply formed spiritual formation we have what's called apprentice huddles you're going to hear more and more about this in the days and months and years to come but we're, we're going after deep spiritual formation and we're talking about rhythms of life. And we use the Sabbath to talk about what's your rhythm of work and rest and prayer and service and Bible study and family. And I've realized that most of us either grew up with a, a family, a culture of a family, a church practicing the Sabbath legalistically, would some of you put yourself in that camp? Yes? Or we never talked about the Sabbath at all, and it's a foreign concept. And so many of us today, what are we doing? Uh, nothing. We have no concept of rhythms of life. We have no concept that God is calling us to live in a way that there's times of rest and renewal there's times of work. There's times of play. There's times of family. And we're simply living based on what the culture's rhythm is rather than God's rhythm of life. Does that make sense? Yep. You with me? Okay. 
All right? One of my favorite stories about Sabbath is when I moved into and bought a home in Holland, Michigan. That was the last church I served. And the, the realtor leads us into the garage and he points out there's a drain in the garage. And I'm like, that's odd. Why is there a drain in the garage? He says, oh, well, that's because, you know, we live in a pretty conservative area. You can uh, wash your car on Sunday. And if you close your garage doors, none of the neighbors will judge you. <laughs> and by the way, pastor, don't mow your lawn on Sunday because you're a pastor and it will really get people upset. I think that's practicing the Sabbath wrongly. It's been rooted in judgment and condemnation rather than what's the heart and intent. What's the heart and the tent of God? Rest and renewal and joy. Do you know what I did this past Sunday besides after I preached the sermon? I mowed my lawn. <laughs> Do you know why I mowed my lawn? Because Sunday is not my Sabbath. I'm working here, people. I'm not resting. I, I had to wrestle with this for a while. What does that mean? I'm supposed to rest on a Sunday, and this is like my most important day. My brother says it's the only day I work. But the, yeah, so it's the opposite. So what am I doing there? I got to look at the intent and God's heart. And I don't think he cares if I take a Sabbath day on a Tuesday or a Saturday or a Sunday. I think what he cares about is I've heard his law and his desire, this gift that I wouldn't work myself to the bone as part of our culture says. Some of us are there. We're working, we're working. Well, time is money. I got to get it done. When the iron's hot, I got to strike. That's all cultural sayings, right? What he's saying is, I, I love you. I, I want to I renew your soul. I want to, another huddle, we were just looking at Psalm 23. And we we're talking how incredible it was that Jesus wants to be our shepherd, that he wants to lead us by these pastures that are full, these green pastures. But you know what? We're never going to be renewed by green pastures if we never stop to lay down. If we just fall in the pasture exhausted and weary. You see, though, there's a pattern. Life is not all work. What's the rhythm? Oftentimes we're working so, such long hours, we have no space for Jesus, for reflection. What the Israelites were saying, we get it, we see it, we understand it. We're going to start living in your rhythms, God. Friends, some of you are weary and drained and tired, and one of the best things that you can do is figure out a day in the week that you can cease from working and do things that restore your soul. My Sabbath happens to be a Saturday, right? I don't check email. 
I try and be away from my phone as much as possible. I, I try and not do anything ministry-related. I, I don't want to make you feel bad, but your work. You guys are a lot of work. You're exhausting sometimes. <laughs> it's kind of fun. So I, I just try and be aware. What is work? The ministry is work. I haven't. So I try not to work for a 24-hour period. I'm not overly spiritual. I, I do pray, but most like any other day. But I try and do things that renew my soul. I, one of my favorite times is a Saturday morning when my wife Kendra and I will wake up, sleep in a little bit, and we'll read just read, that renews my soul. It's not necessarily spiritual stuff. I, I don't read ministry books because that would be working. I, I, I read stuff that I enjoy. I, I enjoy physical activity. I'll jog. I'll, I'll even do stuff around the house that's mindless because my job, I sit so much, right? Except while I'm preaching. And... and and, and so I get to, to be with the Lord while I do stuff. You, you see, I don't know what restores your soul. But really, I, I don't think God is going, oh, no, that, that no, no, that's not. But do, do you see his heart and his intent? If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're out of alignment, one of the best things you can do is say, Lord, how do I begin to shape my life with rhythms of prayer, of Bible study, of rest, of renewal, of family, of spouses? What's a rhythm that I don't, at the end of the week, I'm just dead? I don't think that's how God designed life, Right? Sabbath is one. Let's go on to verse 32. It says this, we assume, Nehemiah chapter 10, we assume the responsibilities for carrying out the commands to give a third of a shekel each year for the service of the house of our God. For the bread set out on the table, for the regular grain offerings and the burnt offerings, for the offerings on the Sabbaths, at the new moon feasts and the appointed festivals for the holy offerings, for sin offerings, to make atonement for Israel and for all the duties of the house of our God. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have cast lots to determine when each of our families is to bring to the house of our God at set times each year a contribution of wood to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We also assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree. We're going to pause right there. This is not about, in my mind, tithes and offerings. This, is, this section here is they're saying we've been out of alignment with wealth, with finances, 
with money. And yes, tithes and offerings are part of that to to allow the the temple and the ritual and the service, all the offerings, the the duties of the, the Levites and the priests that they bring that. But really they're saying, we have not handled our finances in a way that you have told us to. And I would say that principle is just as applicable today for you and me as it is in Nehemiah's time. Not that we follow all these burned offerings and grain offerings and all of that. No, 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 that's the law. But the intent, what's the intent, God's heart behind that? That we would be living in a way that honors God with our finances and our wealth. And it's human nature, many of us are out of sync, out of alignment with our wealth, our finances, and how we use them. I really like this uh, bishop in the Catholic Church. His name's Robert Barron. He's founded a ministry, Word on Fire. You can Google him. I think he's brilliant. I listen to him on a regular basis. He was telling the story of of a priest who was speaking to a number of Catholic families. They were large donors. And uh, the Bishop uh, Barron said that he said all the normal, thank you, thank you so much for giving. And then he said something that really caught Bishop Barron's attention. He said this, you know, the poor need you, need your generosity, need your creation of wealth. But do you know you need the poor? You need the poor to keep you out of hell. You don't always hear that in a donor, right? But the the point he was getting at, uh, well, I don't know if he was getting at this point, but it made me think about this, is that there is a danger of our finances, that the finances, when we use them wrongly, that they can begin to influence and take over and shape our lives. That's why Jesus spoke so much about finances and warned us that there's a power in money that can influence and throw off our entire lives. And if we're not careful, it can be, be master rather than God. That's why I I was caught as I was introducing and praying for the, the offering that part of my offering, part of my giving is to stay in alignment with God in how I use my finances. Can I talk to you about what I think is one of the greatest inventions ever? Amazon Prime. <laughs> oh my gosh. You can like search the, the world for cool stuff. Luke just had a birthday, right? I didn't go anywhere. I, on my couch, I searched the world for cool stuff. At a pl- click of a button, you click it, and then guess what? It shows up at your doorstep in the next couple of days. That's it. That's incredible how amazing and how absolutely dangerous that is. Why? Because I want stuff. I I like stuff. 
I've got a wish list. I got all sorts of stuff that's there. Can you imagine if the Israelites in Nehemiah time had Amazon Prime? I mean, you could call it like Israel Prime, right? And they, and they had to confess in chapter 9. Can you imagine how they must have had to confess? There's this danger, and it's even more prevalent today, right? That, that we use our finances in ways that do not honor God. The Apostle Paul said this. He's speaking to the Corinthian church, and they were doing pretty good. This is in 2 Corinthians. And he says this, but since you excel in everything, you excel in faith. How many of us excel in faith? In speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in love. They excel in love. How many of us excel in love and, and we, that we have kindled in you? See that you excel in this grace of giving. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a way we get to live in sync with God. There's a little bit of a clue that I think has been really, really significant in this chapter. It's the use of the word first. Look again at, at chapter uh, verse 35. They said to God, we assume the responsibility for bringing to the house of our Lord each year the first fruits of our crops. And then we'll read in just a moment, 36, they talk about their firstborn of their sons and their cattle and their herds. Verse 37, the first of our ground meal and of our grain offerings and of the fruit of all the trees of new wine. This idea of first, they're saying we will acknowledge that all that we have is from you, Lord. And as we gather, as we work, we'll give you the first of what we produce in our lives. And friends, I want to suggest that most of us, even Christians, we handle our wealth not based on the word first, but on the word last. Yes? Yes, that we, we pay our bills, we search Amazon Prime, we make our purchases. By the way, statistically, the majority of Americans carry a large amount of debt, right? By the time it comes to give towards God's kingdom, we don't even have anything left over. We're in the negative, right? We give the last and, it, and it's debt. What God is saying is that let me teach you how to handle your finances. And there's a principle of first. There's a principle. Again, just to, to model with you, I, I'm growing with you in all of these things, rhythms of life as well as money. There's another place where Paul says, um, based on your relationship with God, what he puts in your heart to give, give that. Paul is moving away from a legalistic, well, 10%. What's the gross? Net. That didn't really say that. How do I, now, do I have to add additional things? 
He's saying, no, talk with the Lord about it. And what he's put on your heart to give to his work and his ministry, do that. It's the the law of the spirit. You, You see what I'm saying? Allow the spirit of God to direct your finances and how you handle that. So quite honestly, I don't know the exact percentage that I give of my income, right? But the Lord and I talked about it and I give that. And by the way, when I pray about our personal finances, when I pray about the finances of the church, it's not my first conversation with the Lord about finances is not, God help! (laughs) My first conversation is, God, what do you want me to give to your work here? And then I figure out the bills and Oh, I'm still on Amazon Prime. Of course. But I figure out all of that as that flows. You understand? Friends, it's a huge area that gets us out of sync is money and finances and wealth. And when we're not living correctly with the Lord, it leads to other moral failures and compromise and a lack of integrity. And finally this. Um, Look at verse 36. We'll read just a few more verses. As it is also written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and our cattle and our herds to the priests ministering there. Moreover, we will bring to the storerooms of the house of our God, to the priests, the firstborn of our ground meal, grain offerings, fruit of all of our trees, new wine, oil, and we will bring a tithe of our crops to the Levites, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all the towns where we work. Look at the very last verse of this chapter. They conclude, we will not neglect the house of our God. A spirit-led leader cares for the community and leadership of Christ. How we live in relation to the community of faith is a big deal to God. To steal a line from the Catholic priest, the community needs you needs your gifts, your talents, your servants, but you need community to keep you out of hell. At the very least, to teach you how to live the abundant life, a life in alignment with not just God, but also God's people. Author of Hebrews said this, Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Boy, did he write this yesterday or? No, 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 human nature. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. We need your encouragement and strength, testimony, service, hope, faith. And yet you need us. One of my greatest sadnesses as a pastor is when people disconnect 
from the community of faith. Because I know they're going to be out of alignment really soon. Well, I listen to messages online. Don't you know the community is so much more than messages? Well, I, I, I get God in nature. You're missing the communion of saints. Well, I listen to worship all the time. Yet there's something about God's presence and God's gathered people. Well, I'm in a spiritual funk. I just need to be away for a while. This is the crucial moment. When you're in that spiritual funk, you need the community so much more. Friends, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning worship. I'm, I'm talking about real community, sacred community, sacred friendships. You're not meant to be an island all by yourself. You're meant to be engaged with people of faith that will walk and bear with one another. It's meant to be a sacred friendship. Just a word about uh, leaders shorten this really quick, but he, I just included leaders um, just because I felt the sense that was part of the chapter. And, and I'll just leave you with, with the, he, the next Hebrews passage and how do you relate to those who are in spiritual leadership over you? I realize that's a little bit self-serving, but it's in the chapter. And, and I'd simply ask you to say, would you pray about how is your relationship and connection with those who are in leadership to you? You see, friends, when we start living life according to the rhythms of culture, we get out of sync. You realize when when I'm out of line in my spine, then my hip starts to have issues, right? What is going on now? And then my headache comes and I'm out of the, I think the same is true spiritually, is in this one area, whether it's rhythms of life, whether we're working ourselves to our bone, whether it's out of sync financially, whether it's out of sync with the community of faith, whatever that is, we get out of sync and that begins to connect with the rest of our lives. Every area and pretty soon we are distraught and we're going, oh. And the Lord is saying, I, I've, I've shown, I will teach you how to live. I have given you my spirit. I've given you my revelation, my truth. I will show you. Let's do it together. It's in a beautiful life, an abundant life, a kingdom life. If you would but listen. I'm not going to have you sign a covenant or anything like that, that would be very Old Testament-ish and legalist in my mind. Because it's between you and the Spirit. Would you close your eyes for a moment? Let's just ask, what's the area in life that you're most out of alignment with God?
might be finances, you're working a job, you haven't given meaningfully and significantly in a long time. Might be with your rhythms of life, you're weary, you're tired. You've been living by the mantras of the world. Time is money. You're not living into your relationships in a healthy way. Your marriage, your friendships. Maybe it's the community of faith. You know you're out of sync. You're not living as the Lord has commanded you to live. So Holy Spirit, would you help us guard against guilt or condemnation? But conviction, whatever way you want to convict us. Would you help us to hear what you're saying and live it out by your spirit.